Hey everyone, welcome to episode number nine of Musicians for Mental Health. On this podcast, we speak with musicians about mental health openly and honestly, without the veil of lyrics. We are not mental health professionals, we are not licensed therapists or counselors, we are people that have had our own personal experiences with mental health and want to shed light on these topics. On this episode, I talk with Jeffrey Fisher of the band Rogue, and we had a great time talking. This is one of the longest episodes that we've had so far, um, and I really hope that you guys, you know, dig in and, and pay attention. Um, Jeffrey and I talked about a wide variety of things um, around mental health and how to balance your time and you know, what to do when it feels like you're getting out of balance and how creating art can be a coping mechanism or a therapy of sorts. Um, and just so much more, you know, it's really hard to detail everything that we got into, but I want you guys to check this out. Um, check out his band rogue as well. Uh, especially a lot of their new music is very, very, clearly around mental health and um i think that's going to make a a lot of people connect a lot with the the content that they're putting out um but i want to thank jeffrey for taking the time to do this like i said this is easily one of the longest episodes that we've done um it is going to come in over that two hour mark so i will give you that as a heads up so just be sure you know give us a like a share a subscribe subscribe, follow, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Let us know what you think of this episode. I know it's a long one, so I highly doubt most people get through it in a single sit-down, but if you do, that's super cool too. So um, yeah, that's everything I've got to kind of lead into this. So let's go ahead and dive into my conversation with Jeffrey Fisher of the band Rogue, and we discuss mental health. So um to kick things off i do start off with the same boring ass question on every interview and that's a simple introduction who you are what you do in the band and just a little background on yourself yeah uh, my name is jeffrey fisher i play guitar for the band rogue uh i'm born and raised in new orleans um relocated to mississippi a few years ago just living life out here right now (laughs) yeah yeah, awesome. I've never been to, to New Orleans, but I am a big Saints fan. So, you know, I, at least I can relate to you there, I guess. <laughs> you have to. If, if you're going to be in New Orleans, you have to be a Saints fan. That's pretty much the rule. Right, right. There's no other le- legitimately, like geographically as well, but like there's no other team that is allowed to be anywhere around New Orleans. Oh, no. Um, don't. <laughs> That's not a conversation that we need to get into. <laughs> right. Right. Awesome, man. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the band. Um, so, you know, this is Musicians for Mental Health. So we're going to focus primarily on mental health as we get a little deeper here. But for people that maybe haven't heard of the band and, and kind of what you guys are about, why don't you give a little description on kind of the vision of what Rogue is? Yeah, absolutely. Um so it kind of has evolved as time has gone on. It was started originally by our vocalist, um, really just wanting to 
have some fun with some kind of creative outlet, uh, very inspired by modern progressive metal um, in terms of bands like Northlane, Invent Animate, um, really just those two, especially the the soundscapes and the ambience behind that. And uh, vocalist was just like, that's something that I think I would have fun doing. Um, I ended up joining the band um, and at first it really went from just trying to have fun to this is something that we could do something important here. Um, it turned into that very quickly. As the music came along, it was very evident to us that with the types of songs that we were writing with our producer, it just felt different from what we had done before. There was some kind of significance to it. It's really hard to describe um, exactly, but we just had this feeling, um, especially the last song on our first record. There was just this feeling to where we were like, we need to do something with this. Um, and when I say that, I mean, the vocalist started writing songs about issues that he saw in political structures, just issues um, in his own life that he saw happening in a way that, you know, it wasn't necessarily like my girlfriend broke up with me right. kind of thing. Just like I said, just all of a sudden feeling kind of this inherent need as we were listening to what we were coming up with that, you know, we need to talk about maybe some things that people don't typically talk about. Um, and that has evolved with everything going on in the world. So um, right. You know, on our second record, we called out, you know, left versus right, very intentionally during election year, um, released a song about that, you know, a few months before, being very mindful about that, and then a pandemic happened, and right. that really gets us to where we are now, which is, you know, a lot more introspective, instead of just very easily slapping a well, everything else in my life is wrong. Maybe right. taking a more introspective approach as to, okay, yeah, these are things that we have identified as wrong. So what can I do about that? Um, instead of just being preachy about it. Um, yeah. So like I said, that's really where we are now and pretty much why I'm having this conversation with you. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that is one of the interesting things about your band is that, you know, there are those socioeconomic topics which obviously breed into mental health and, and things like that as well. Um, but no, I think it's I think it's interesting and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's almost like once you guys came together and started really figuring out the sound that you wanted to make, you almost find purpose through creating this art and a direction that you need to go, right? Yeah, absolutely. It you know, a lot of that just takes time because we can all have our own ideas, but as we grow together, become closer friends, we play more shows together, write more albums together. Yeah, all of that really just starts coming together. And, you know, you share life as brothers at a certain point to yeah. where you're vulnerable with each other in a way that you wouldn't be vulnerable with other people. You know? Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's the old cliche, obviously, that your bandmates are always, you know, brothers or family or whatever. Um, but it, it really is this thing where if people haven't been in a band or that close of a group of friends, like 
it it's a family but in a much different light where you know your family you grow up with and there's inherently whether you always get along with them or not there's inherently this like internal judgment that you feel that is going to happen if you open up about certain topics whereas when it's you know bandmates or brothers that you choose you know the family that you choose quote unquote a lot of that goes away and you can be more vulnerable to your point and say look guys this is this is something i'm dealing with but you know i need some guidance or whatever the the case may be um and you just you don't always have that with your traditional family setup unfortunately could not agree more yeah, yeah and that's that's the other thing about being in a band too, you know, speaking to like traditional family structures is you get so many different viewpoints. If you come from a very, you know, I come from the South. So a lot of my family is very strictly red, more traditional, maybe not as progressive and forward thinking. So you're going to hear a lot of the same viewpoints, opinions, um, if you read between the lines here, also means backlash, essentially. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so when you're in a band with, you know, people from different parts of the country, or you just start going to different parts of the country together, yeah, it's just very refreshing to realize that, okay, maybe what I was born into isn't all that there is. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, obviously we don't have to get super deep or, or specific about that, but, like, I... I grew up in Indiana, so Midwest, and same thing, like, you get a lot of these people that are slower paced, I guess, or slower to change, you know, so it takes a many generations, it feels like, before people are like, well, maybe that's not the right way, you know, we've just done it that way for so long, um, and then, like you said, when you start traveling out, you know, even just from Indiana up to Chicago, like, it's a completely different type of environment and then you start looking at it and going this isn't near what the perception I had was because of what was you know for lack of a better term beat into me because it's the only thing I've ever heard yeah that is definitely my big moment like that for me strangely enough was seeing Albuquerque New Mexico for the first time um, because it's it's like you said, you can just essentially turn a corner into a different community and everything is different. And we're just driving from town to town, you know, playing. At first, it started in the South. We played Louisiana, where I'm from, of course. We played Texas, Arkansas, and you see some mountains, but it's nothing different. And then all of a sudden, right, you're driving, and then here's this society where everything looks completely different from anything I've ever known. It's just like, this is crazy how, you know, of course this isn't necessarily on a political standpoint, but so many communities can be so closed off, but here we are just a two hour drive and things are so incredibly different. So, yeah. But that makes it even more amazing. Like I said, how it's, or I guess dumbfounding why some, some communities are just so closed off. So hesitant to yeah. be on board with, ideal yeah for sure and I yeah I I totally agree and you know again we don't have to get super political with it but like to your point like the area that I live in is traditionally very red as well 
Um, and, you know, not that it's necessarily a bad thing or, you know, that blue is better or whatever, but it's like, how are we so divided on some of these, these standpoints when if we just went, like you said, two, two and a half hours away, they're already on this other standpoint. Like we're not as, as far apart as it really seems, you know, it'd be different if it was like New York all the way over to California before you saw a change. <laughs> okay. Like that yeah. makes sense. But the fact that you could take a day trip anywhere in your state or an adjoining state and stuff difference in just overall socioeconomic climate, like why can't we come together and find common ground on a lot of this stuff? Yeah. No, I mean, that's it's definitely something that we've started to talk about more um, really on our second record where that started to lead into like that introspective side of like this is the reality of things but what can we do with that um there was a song right. called ethos where it's the hardest line of course but you know the, our vocalist says in the age of information no one seems to know a fucking thing um, and of yeah. course like incredible call out line all that stuff but I mean, that's exactly what that was representing is the fact that like social media especially makes these things. So left versus right, red versus blue, black versus white. But I mean, like you said, everything is not that incredibly divided. It's It tries to simplify issues that should not dare be simplified. Right. So many things about life are too nuanced for us to try and pigeonhole it yeah but that's a in the most difficult part about growing up probably yeah yeah no, I absolutely agree and I've said you know around like social media so many people are headline educated now versus like research educated mm -hmm. they see the headline to a story and they assume that that is what it is and they don't take any more time to research like or even just read the article that that headlines to so at surface value, it's like, oh, well, you know, Illinois just passed this law and, you know, whatever. So we, we hate them now. And it's like, but hold on. There's a lot more that went into that than them just randomly passing this law. Like, let's yeah. look at some facts. And people just don't want to get into that. And, you know, to your point slash your vocalist, like in the age of information, you are literally minutes away from having all the information that you could ever want at your fingertips you know between google and and everything else like you can find out anything it's a matter of obviously learning trustworthy you know sources um but i think if you spend enough time on the internet it's not even that much time you're going to figure out pretty quickly who is very biased versus not very biased oh yeah so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's dive into, you know, as you became more introspective and and seeing that that purpose and that drive that, you know, this is responsibility feels like a big word and correct me if I'm wrong for using it, but it, it almost feels like a responsibility that we have a platform and we could potentially a large number of people. So now it's our responsibility to not necessarily make their lives better in the sense of, obviously, that's a, a 
outrageous goal that you you know we can't really accomplish but like to put in perspective things I guess that maybe they're not so alone and and things like that yeah absolutely because it's you know you you start to look at it from a business perspective at some point um, and it gets so monotonous and boring because you say okay yeah we just don't want to write the same record again you don't want to put out you know, the same lyrics written a different way, but that's so not genuine. That's not honest. That's right. not vulnerable. Nobody, nobody really wants to see a band just trying to Google search what is the most formulaic way that I can make a person fall in love with my band, you know? Right. Um, so it's, you know, I guess to really start opening things up personally here, you know, we, we put out two records starting to work on number three and we're feeling like going in a darker direction and you say, all right, so what is going to fuel this? Because again, we're not going in a darker direction because it's what we have magically computed in the algorithm that this is right. gonna, what's going to get us popular. It's, well, there's a pandemic happening. Um, and that's not something I like talking about too much, but you know, I lost two grandparents during it. And yeah. my stepmom, we almost lost, thankfully she's still with us, but is gonna have health issues for a long time. Um, my vocalist had COVID. Um, I mean, you know, if I sat here and named the tragedies, <laughs> I'd have right. to book another therapy session. But I mean, how do you, go through things like that and not inherently want to push things in a darker direction <laughs> right you know so it really at first it was like oh it'd just be cool you know we started tuning down a little bit you know try and dig into some like death tones influence or industrial influence and then yeah. these are the things that are happening around us and it just you know like you said at that point you really have a responsibility, in my opinion, at least, to say, hey, like a lot of people are going through it right now, especially during a time where it's not popular or cool to talk about the struggles. Everybody wants right. to try and hide it for, you know, social media's perception's sake and things like that. And it's like, no, like this is what we've been experiencing we know a lot of other people are experiencing this too. There's no shame in talking about this. There's no shame in opening up about this. That's the only way that a lot of us are going to get through this together. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's a, a great point. You know, you didn't use the term, but that's where that stigma is, right? You know, mental health is is uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about. It's, it's not a fun topic by any means. Um, but that's also you know, why you make some of the music that you make. That's why I started this specific podcast is because these topics are uncomfortable, but the only way as a society that we, A, become more comfortable to say, hey, I'm not in a good headspace right now. I need help or whatever. Or B, even just being able to say, you know, look, I've been through some terrible things in my life. Um, and therefore I have, you know, some trauma from it. Everybody does, but nobody <laughs> wants to talk about it, you know? And I think that's, you, you bring up, you know, especially in this 
time that we're in with social media, you go to Instagram right now and you only get the best parts of like 98% of people's lives because that's all they want to show. Um, and it's unfortunate because you have people, you know, there's, there's definitely celebrities out there that people assume have it all, you know, we'll, we'll use Kim Kardashian. You know, there's people that look at her and they're like, oh, she can't have any problems. Look at her. But she's also married to Kanye, who's openly talked about being bipolar, <laughs> having depression. And, you know, like, even if some of it's just transference from him, like, there's still things people have to deal with, right? Yeah. And as a society, I think until we get to the point where you and I are now of saying, look, shit's fucked up. And that's okay. Like, I'm still here. You're still here. Let's figure out a better way to deal with it. Yeah. So um, with that comes kind of the tagline that I told you I'm thinking for this episode is creating art as a coping mechanism. Um, mm -hmm. Now, obviously, it doesn't replace therapy. And I know you can attest to that. But yeah, it, it can definitely be a tool to adjust your feelings or to be able to put your feelings in a perspective that you're more equipped to handle them right oh absolutely yeah so when it comes to you guys um you know get as personal as you want to be or or not you know there's zero pressure on any of this but when it comes to you, you guys and looking at you know some of your song topics especially on this new album and um just kind of the evolution of you guys there's, you know, the grief and then the internal traumas that you've suffered yourselves and things like that. When, when you spoke about it earlier, it's clear that it's, it's an organic thing. Like you were intentional in, hey, we're going to change our sound some, but it became very organic in that this has got to be real. It's got to be vulnerable. Let's talk a little bit about, because I don't think a lot of people understand, even though for lack of a better term, you hide behind the veil of lyrics, right? Because you're not specifically telling the story. Um, but talk a little bit about how tough it is to actually open up and, and be vulnerable, even through an art form. Yeah, I mean, goodness gracious. It's especially with social media being the way it is these days. I think that has to be what makes it the most difficult um, because it's one thing to be worried about acceptance from like a friend or somebody else. Um, yeah. you, know, you open up and you're vulnerable and they don't like if they don't accept you or they judge you for what you said. I mean, of course that hurts, um, but to spend so much time crafting something that you're proud of and it comes from a place like that, and then somebody just comments, this song sucks. It's just like, like I lost somebody and it fueled me to spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of my time meticulously crafting this. And like that is what you have to say about it. Right. It has the potential to be devastating. Thankfully, you know, we've kind of at this point, you know, evolved beyond that, especially with you know, the purpose and intent behind what we're doing now. Um, but there's just something 
about, and this has really been like my theme of my life lately, engaging in some kind of activity where you're fully present Mm -hmm. in writing music, being in the studio, especially performing. It's one of those rare moments in life where I find myself not having to force myself to be fully present. Um, One other, I think really the only other thing is running for me where it's like, I'm so exhausted and I feel like I'm about to die for like that 30 (laughs) seconds that you're trying to push past the finish line, you finish. And then you're like, not at all. in that 30 seconds was I thinking about my problems about checking my phone or what other, you know, things that you're dealing with in your daily life. And that's been the biggest, like just the biggest relief with doing all of this with you know crafting the album and being able to finally release it it's just you get in that focus and all of a sudden we like since we live a little bit of a ways away from each other so at least me and the vocalist don't get to see each other a lot right now but we'll be on the phone all the time and it's like we get off the phone i'm like i didn't think about my crappy job for an hour there like oh my god like look at that you know so it's you know, maybe it doesn't necessarily solve all of our problems, but it's one of those, I mean, how else do you get that feeling? And I'm sure everybody has their own way, but that's just how it is for us. Like, oh my God, how else do we get this feeling? Like nothing else matters for a second. Like this is just that important to us. Yeah. There's a, a quote from Jim Carrey um, that he did in an interview where, you know, we should think of the word depressed as deep rest which is what your body needs is a deep rest away from your mind and I think that's you know a prime example there is those times that you find something you know I'm the same way when it comes to live music like if I'm at a concert nothing else fucking matters for that two and a half hours like I don't give a shit about my job about the the lady that cut me off on the way like whatever right and it's about finding those things that, that do make you happy and that allow you that distraction. And like you said, it, it doesn't fix the problem, but when you can distract yourself or not have to think about it for a period of time, then when it comes back, you've almost got an extra little bit of energy to go, you know what, like, this isn't going to dominate my day now here's what I'm going to do to, to fix this, or this is the first step I'm going to take to correct this action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with you guys, you know, speaking back to creating art as a, a coping mechanism, um, and to your point earlier about, you know, taking all this time and, and money and effort to produce a, even a single, you know, and then for, for people on social media, YouTube, whatever it is to come back and be like, yeah, this is trash. You know, it, I think a lot of times, A, the person on the other side is obviously either a troll or is hurting themselves and, you know, they or deflect. But two, I think a lot of times that old cliche of hurt people hurt people is yeah. is very true and i think 99 of the time if that was a face-to-face interaction that person wouldn't say it to you 
but it's because they can hide behind the screen. It gives that extra little bit of confidence that, hey, they don't know who I am anyway, so fuck it. Here's what I think. And it's like, okay, but if we were standing face to face, would you have that same interaction with me? Probably not, right? Probably not. I wish they <laughs> and would I, too, because I would love to engage in a conversation like that. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is, you know, through comments, it's way more difficult, obviously, on social media, Instagram, YouTube, whatever, like comment threads, you can't read tone, you know, there's, it just doesn't work. But if it was face-to-face and you disagree with me and we're able to have a conversation, cool. I'm all for that. And even if at the end of that, you still think this sucks and I don't like it, all right. But at least we were able to both say our piece. And I think that ties back into the mental health side too of, you know, you made the comment earlier about opening up to like friends or family and, and maybe they don't accept you or they it's just not something they're equipped or ready to handle. That's okay. As long as we're able to have that at least first conversation and you can tell me, look, I, I just can't deal with that. Okay. I know not to come to you when I'm in a, a depressive episode or whatever, and that's okay. I can find somebody else. Yeah. The last thing I, I think I'll agree with this. The last thing anybody that's been through trauma wants to do is to pass that trauma or that weight onto anybody else. That's not our goal. No, absolutely not. Um, let's talk a little bit about taking the trauma, the, the grief, all of this, and sitting down, because this is not an easy task, but sitting down with those thoughts and putting them on paper and starting, you know, in your case, crafting songs for other people that may be journaling and things like that. Are there any precautions? Feels like a, a very serious word for it, but you know what I mean? Like, do you go into it with the intent of like, or the, the mindset of, look, if this gets too heavy, I'm going to stop and I need to go do something else. Or is it just like, let's get as, you know, deep and dark as we, <laughs> we do and see what comes out for us it was definitely getting as deep and dark as we can and seeing what comes out um, but i think that that only came from a very strong point of trust of at this point um, you know over the years we've gone through member changes like a lot of bands have um, so i mean we have villains and we have a full band in our music videos but at the end of the day um the like writing recording process is really just me the vocalist and our producer um who also has songwriter credits so i mean our producer i stood in his wedding and the vocalist was also at his wedding vocalist is not married but i will absolutely stand in his wedding if he does get married one day um, yeah. and vice versa. And so, I mean, that kind of relationship over so many years is, I think, the only reason we were able to do that. Um, and just that being everybody's different personalities. Um, like, no offense to, you know, my vocalist whatsoever, but if I was dealing with, like, a terrible trauma and just, like, needed somebody, I can't say he would be the number one person I would call. 
Um, and again, that's no offense to him or anything like that. Um, you just share different experiences with everybody where I feel like our producer can understand my thought process a little more because when you're going yeah. through something like that, you don't necessarily sound like a rational human being. If I call my vocalist, you probably would think that I'm a crazy person. Right. You'd just be like, Jeffrey, like, I don't even understand what you're saying. Calm down. But again, when you have that rapport with several different people who are all, you know, he has his more cautious side. Our producer has his empathetic side towards me we all balance each other out at that point yeah you know and so that makes it to where we are able to do sorry we are capable of doing that um and it's yeah it's difficult you know i did some journaling at the beginning of all of it and i would read it to people outside of our circle and just like i never knew you were so dark and I'm like, I don't even perceive it to be that dark. I just wrote my thoughts. Right. Like, this right. is just quite literally where I'm at. And they're like, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, 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 we're getting through it. Yeah. And, you know, a couple things I want to touch on there is uh, that reminds me of a meme that I saw the other day that said um sometimes i don't realize how like a situation was until i make a joke about it and then everybody just stares at me like, whoa you know <laughs> and it's like oh whoops <laughs> like i didn't realize that was so bad <laughs> uh, but i think to to that point too you know and it kind of ties into my second point of building a support circle that you do have these different members that can support you in different ways and in different events um you know, like you said, your vocalist is a little more cautious, your producer's a little more empathetic, and obviously you have more people around you than that, but like, I want to say that it is okay to, to be that way. Like, one of my absolute best friends in the world, if I was in a major depressive episode, he's not the first person I would call either, yeah. just because we've not experienced me. About it, that I get the responses that would help me move through it. You know, it would just be kind of a stagnant conversation. Um, so you know, I think that's important for people to to be aware of as well. Is support circles not only in the mental health, which is obviously super important. But when it comes to, you know, us talking about creating art as a coping mechanism, you said, you know, you shared some of your writings with other people, like knowing the people that you're sharing those things with, even if you journal, you, you know, paint, draw, whatever, um, not everybody's going to be into it, you know, and that's okay. You want to find people that can look at what you've done and go, oh okay, you know, like, did this help you move through this? Like, what was going on? Uh, that is where healing comes, right? No, absolutely. And that's, that's what I was kind of picking up on um, throughout all of that is, you know, when you think about where everybody is coming from, how different people respond to different situations. And I think the part that's, kind of upsetting about it all is that 
you know, say my vocalist is a little more cautious. So if I tell him, hey, I wrote this and it's something really dark, he's going to be like, that's crazy. You know, why are you okay? <laughs> but if I tell it to, you know, one of my other friends who can recall a time where she wrote something similar to that, she's going to immediately be concerned in an entirely different way because she remembers what she went through. But again, that's what's so, you know, I upsetting isn't necessarily the right word, but you start to share in these experiences. And I think that's why it is so important to talk about it because you realize, well, the reason this person is so empathetic to what I'm feeling is because they've gone through something like that and I didn't even know. And oh my God, like if somebody that close to me felt like I feel now, I want to be there to help them too. And then all yeah. of a sudden, it, like it all clicks and it's like, why aren't we all talking about this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly it. You know, like the whole, I, because I listen to a lot of emo, pop punk, hardcore, like, these really angry songs, according to a lot of people, or these really sad songs, according to a lot of people. And it's like, I mean, you're right on the surface, but to your point with like journaling on the surface, yeah, maybe it is super, super dark and, and things, but when you dive into it, there's so much more to it. You know, there's, there's a story because these people are still around and able to tell their stories and the, the connection. And I think, that's the most beautiful thing about music and art in general is the connection that you're able to make with people that you've never met before that can listen to one of your songs and be like, hey, shit, I get it, you know, like, or I've, I've been there, or this has helped me now I'm in that position. And to your, your statement just a second ago, like, why aren't we talking about those things? I was so uncomfortable with many people to say, look, you know, I, I've experienced some fucked up shit in my life. I'm not one, but I like to talk about it so I don't feel or feel normal or bored. Yeah, and I'm, I keep, I don't know why it just gets stuck in my head. I keep thinking about the meme that you brought up where it's, you know, you make a joke about something in that situation and everybody else is just staring at you. I think I lost you. lost you for a minute oh, there and, we are uh, um lost you right as you said you keep going back to the meme that i shared about uh joking oh yeah <laughs> this is where you um you know like we said you make a joke about something a little dark and everybody else kind of stares around at you um and it's yeah. funny because you know, at this point in my life, it doesn't even have to be a joke. Um, and it starts right. to become more of a disclaimer. And it's like, hey, 
there we go. It, it dropped again, and so I switched <laughs> networks, and hopefully this time we'll be up. So, uh, Hell yeah, yeah, like you know, and I'm I'm the same way. Like giving a, a disclaimer of sorts to to people that maybe not the very first time that I meet them, but like before a serious conversation comes up, like you know, I I lost my dad when I was 19 years old. I lost my brother three and a half years ago to suicide, and like. So sometimes those things come up where it's like, hey, before we get into this topic, like, I need you to know this because for me, it may mean a lot different than what you take it as, you know? Um, and I, I think, you know, the people that are genuinely concerned with our well-being will understand that, you know, it, it's the people that maybe are still genuinely concerned about our well-being but maybe aren't as well equipped to handle our well-being yeah yeah so um i think too something i want to kind of bring back up with the support circles and you know creating art especially if you're a writer you know obviously like drawing and painting may be a little harder to collaborate on but if you're a writer whether it's journaling a a songwriter, whatever it is, finding a group of people that you can create with that do support you and maybe have had similar experiences, I think that is going to be one of the healthiest environments for you, as odd as it sounds. Like, oh, let's mm -hmm. get a bunch of traumaed people together and they'll be <laughs> healthy. But, you know, we all deal with those traumas in our own ways. So, you know, the way that you've dealt with the passing of, of relatives versus the way that I've dealt with it are probably different. Yeah, I'm almost going to guarantee are different. <laughs> but at the same time, like, that doesn't mean that we can't be there for each other or learn something about, oh, you know, I never thought about this. And mm -hmm. that's the way I need to start looking at, at this aspect. No, that's the entire reason that I am in this band to begin with actually has a lot to do with that because the vocalist I knew a little bit but that was it um it was you know he was looking for a guitarist because he was making a band and uh, he was working with the producer that I had been working with before so my name got thrown out there but I didn't know anybody else in the band when I first joined uh, there was like one awkward moment one day where we all got in a room together for the first time. And I'm just like, it's nice to meet you. I'm in a band with you. Like right. <laughs> not exactly what I expected to come of that. Um, but, you know, to make a long story longer, um, I play or write music for another band as well called The Arbitrary, which is just me. Um, it's instrumental, progressive. I mean, it's similar to what I do in Rogue, but it's definitely um, a lot more boundless, you know, in Rogue when you've got vocals and it's like, you know, in the inspiration of progressive metalcore, it's got to be a little more contained right. um, as opposed to writing like seven and a half minute instrumental songs, like, you know, Dream Theater meets um, Intervals was really always the biggest inspiration. Yeah. Um, and it was so all over the place because I would release songs or rather compose songs really just based off of a whim and a lot of times those songs were coming from a dark place and 
it was, you know, one day, it was a Thanksgiving holiday and I didn't see any of my family and spent the entire Thanksgiving holiday in my room. And that is the Arbitrary's number one song on Spotify. <laughs> but I highly doubt that when people turn that song on, they're like, man, I bet you he spent Thanksgiving right. alone by himself. Right. Um, you know, I had a death of a, uh, one of my um, childhood dogs um, inspired one song, a breakup inspired a song, of course. Um, and I took a look at one point and was like, is this what I want to be conveying to people? Right. Um, you know, speaking in terms of the responsibility that you have, I'm like, okay, cool. It's definitely good to share these experiences, but I wasn't quite at that point yet where I was like, I'm going through things and I'm okay with talking about it and sharing it. Yeah. So I was like listening back on all of my material and I'm like, it's all just so sad. And I'm not a sad person. When you right. meet me, you talk to me, I'm outgoing and I'm very lively. You don't take me as being like a sad introspective person. So I was like, okay, let's try and change the narrative here a little bit. Um, instead of using my sad emotions to write sad songs to get through things, let's write positive music to inspire positivity. But the lengths that I had to go through to do that were so strenuous. It was, I would sit down and I would start writing music and it would be sad again. So I was like, all right, that's it. Got to call it a day. So I got into this routine of, I would need to like get up, go for a run, go like shower, listen to a podcast, get a coffee. And then when I'm like in that great, like, oh my God, this is the perfect day zone. Now I can sit down and write good music. Yeah. So that's where I was headed with that. And I'm like, oh my God, this is exhausting. Like this is more exhausting than just <laughs> letting it out. Right. Because, and I mean, that's the same with, you know, it, we haven't really touched on it yet, but I do have general anxiety disorder. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I have depression of some sort. Um, and, you know, when you talk about those things, I mean, just getting out of bed can be difficult. Just yeah. knowing that if I get in the shower, listen to a podcast, go get a cup of coffee is the key to success for a great day. Just knowing that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. It can still right. be difficult to achieve those things. So knowing that information about myself now makes so much more sense as to why three years ago I was like, oh my, this is so exhausting trying to put myself into this positive headspace. So after that, I was just like, I can't, I can't do that again. Like I wrote a whole <laughs> full length of song. It's all positive and it's incredible. It's an incredible cathartic experience. But I was like, there are so many things that I've been going through in that time that I haven't expressed. Right. And now it feels like I've been holding it all in. And then I get a call that's like, hey, Jeffrey, do you want to be in a progressive metalcore band where we're going to scream and yell about things that we're angry about? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> and so now it's, I mean, it's almost gone full circle, but I mean, you know, that's, how we got on this whole tangent to begin with is it's to be able to let that out to oh my goodness to know the keys to success but 
not be able to necessarily achieve them in your own life. Yeah, and I think, you know, two, two things I want to talk about there real quick is as someone that has depression, uh, and I'm just as fucking guilty as anybody else on, I bottle a lot of shit up because you get in that headspace of, you know, oh, this bad thing happened, but I don't want anyone else to be sad, you know, so I don't want to talk about it. And then at the same time, I think, and maybe this is undiagnosed anxiety. I've said for a long time that I think I have anxiety, but at the same time, you're like, well, but, but also if I talk about it, am I being a burden to that person? Like, you know, they're not going to look at me the same way anymore. And then you start compounding all these problems in your head. And like you said, it just becomes this, this fucking heavy weight that you're like, what am I, what am I doing with any of this? Like, I can't just eat it all day. Um, so finding that outlet is vastly important, but I think number two, and, and probably more importantly, is the importance of legitimately figuring out your diagnosis, you know, whether it's anxiety disorder, depression, bipolar, whatever it is, you know, until you understand and have a name for what is putting you in these positions, Mm-hmm. it's really hard to deal with you know yeah. knowing that you have anxiety now I'm sure there's a lot of things that you look back at and you're like man if I would have just taken like you know five minutes to to sit off to the side I probably wouldn't have been in that situation anymore or oh, you know, yeah. for me with depression the same thing like man if I just would have fucking talked to somebody way earlier than four years after this event happened or whatever it is you know there's so much growth that can happen in and there's so much power in knowing the diagnosis oh absolutely and it's this is all very fresh for me um i think i started seeing a therapist about three months ago so it sounds or it would have sounded dramatic a few months ago i think um but it's so true and it's so powerful to what sounds like something that might be common sense to somebody else now just being like a recipe for success so to speak to where that is me to an absolute t where um even like at work this morning is the most beautiful example where okay this needs to get done this needs to get done and this needs to get done and things keep compounding and they keep building and it gets to a point to where I'm like, I know I'm a smart person. I know I can figure out problems, but I genuinely have no idea how I'm going to get through this day. I have no idea how I'm going to get all of these problems solved. And the answer isn't to freak out. It wasn't to try and take on everything myself. Now I have my arsenal of, look, it's 930. I still haven't had anything to eat. I haven't taken my medicine for the day. Give me 10 minutes. Right. I went to the office, sat down, had a bite to eat, took my medicine, took a drink of water, hydrated, and then I got through the day. Yeah. And again, probably so like self-intuitive for some people, which must be incredible 
to yeah. say, well, it's gotta be I'm, great, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm getting frustrated. Obviously I would just like sit down for five minutes and just like take a breather, go cool off, get a gallon to a pillow. But it's like, that's not how my brain works. I see problems before me and I just need to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, trying to figure it out, whatever work, you know, daily life, whatever it may be. It doesn't typically occur to me to, Hey, like take care of yourself for like five seconds. Right. Then let's reapproach this. And every single time I do that now, something clicks. Yeah. And I, I happen to get through it. And it, it did not used to be like that. And that is why I started going to therapy in the first place. Because right. I would get to that point and it ended with me lashing out at other people. Like I told one of my best friends to fuck off one day and stormed off. <laughs> and I only I laugh because like, I've done that too. <laughs> I like sit down and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like genuine, you know, it's, it's yeah. like, so it's funny to think about in retrospect, but I was just like, that is like one of my best friends in there who really cares about me and I really care about them. And for no reason, I just told them to fuck off and stormed off. And they knew that I meant that. Yeah. And I'm like, whatever is going on that I don't know about right now, is that really worth ruining this friendship over? Oh my God. And then yeah, now we're here. General anxiety disorder. Now we have, you know, not all of the tools yet to solve all of my problems, but we're getting there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the very common assumption and misconception when it comes to, to anxiety disorders is for anyone that doesn't have it i shouldn't say anyone for a lot of people that don't have it when they look at someone that does or hear about someone that does the first instinct is oh well they're just overreacting or you know like they're just they're freaking out over nothing and what they don't really understand is like you said it it's how your mind is wired first off yeah but like there's this inherent fear of disappointing someone and failure whether it's a personal failure or failing somebody else so like your point about these you start these lists and it just keeps compounding and you're like well fuck if i don't get this thing done then so-and-so is going to be mad and if i don't do this then then i can't you know it it just complicates everything um and i think a lot of people just assume like like you said it, it must be so nice when somebody can just be like yeah just sit down for five minutes shut the fuck up, like chill out. Sure. That sounds great. I don't know how to do that. You know, like that's not how I'm wired. No. And I mean, I can, you know, now I can think back to like band writing sessions and things like that in the past <laughs> where it's like just one beautiful moment comes to mind. And I know like if my producer listens, he's going to be like, I can't believe you remember that. Um, you know, you know, like I mentioned in my uh, instrumental project, I write a lot of it, but we had a full band and we're in the studio and the drummer's like, oh my God, I've got this idea. And he presents it to the producer and they start working on it, working on it. And I got so angry and they finished the whole thing. And I was like, I don't like a single part of that. And I'm like, that must have crushed him. Right. He was so excited, but there was also no reason for me to jump to that point. Right. I could have spoken up at any point. I could have, 
God, anything but that, you know, but it's like you said that in, you know, this compounds into a lot of other issues, but that fear of disappointing somebody, but then there is also a breaking point too. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, something I've learned about myself to where, okay, if I don't, I probably didn't initially say something because I didn't want to let them down, disappoint and be like, hey, I'm not really digging that. Right. But in not expressing yourself and not talking about things, then we get to that point to where I'm yelling at somebody to fuck off or where I'm, yeah. I don't like a single thing about that. And then I've just crushed, you know, the other member of my band spirits. And it's like, that's when it really all starts to add up. You know, even if you're not, even if you don't have some kind of mental disorder or anything like that, that's why it is so important to talk and communicate because yeah. that's, if we're not comfortable with verbalizing these things, which is where social media is getting us to, then, I mean, God, we're all going to be alone at some point. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And I think that's, that's a great point about being able to, whether you're, you know, suffering from a mental illness or, or not, you know, being able to openly and honestly discuss with someone, especially a friend or a family member and say, Hey, I don't really like that. It's not an attack on you, you know, whatever. And being able to, to be clear about that up front so that you don't end up blowing up, which again, I'm in the same boat as you. I know I've done it in my past where like, I've just let shit build up. And eventually I'm like, look, you're a fucking idiot. I don't want to hear from you. You know, like I didn't ask for your input, whatever. And it's like, looking back, I'm like, man, that was a fucking dickhead thing to say, but need to go that route. If I just would have opened up from the get-go, like, Hey, not looking for input necessarily on this. I just, you know, want to vocalize this or whatever. Um, that whole interaction. And I think one thing too, earlier you made the comment about, you know, making your list of, of the problems that you have during your work day um, or like a to-do list essentially, right? Yeah. Something I've learned, especially when I start feeling overwhelmed with my list is you leave that to-do list right there, but then right beside it, you start making a, what have I done list? And you can start writing well, I already got this one done or, you know, check marks are great, but like, maybe you're not checking off those exact items, but the boss came and asked you to do something else. Well, I did this for, for so-and-so and you can start to balance that sheet a little bit and go, okay, I didn't accomplish my to-dos, but I got a lot done today. Yeah. I, that's actually pretty incredible because I mean, that's, I mean, that's how life typically works is wake up and I want to get these five things done today but then here comes a new email here comes a new concern new health problem whatever so yeah you're probably never going to get every single one of those things marked off that you wanted to but that is also because you marked off nine other things that you didn't necessarily foresee happening yeah yeah it, it it's crazy like you know even if you did just go your daily routine right like Saturdays, my day off. So I want to go to the grocery store. I'm going to do laundry. I'm going to do these things. What if I get a flat tire? Like I can't plan for that. But if I yeah. put on a second list, like, oh, got a flat tire, got that changed. Or, you know, 
I wasn't thinking about getting an oil change. That wasn't on my to-do list, but I did go get an oil change or whatever. Like, and sometimes it's not even like a to-do quote unquote, like, yeah, I didn't get to go to the grocery store, but I went and had lunch with a friend that I've not seen in a long time. Like that's equally as important, you know? No, absolutely. That's, that's one of the biggest things that I've shared with people that I've taken away from starting therapy is literally the first day that I went, you know, it was just a, tell me about yourself. Tell me about what you're dealing with. And I'm going down the list and he just takes one look at me when I'm done. And he's like, do you ever put yourself first? <laughs> and nope. no, I don't. <laughs> and he was like, well, before you answer that, I actually have a test. And it's five different areas of self-care because a lot of people think self-care is just exercising or just getting a full night's sleep. So he's like, there's, you know, physical, there's like psychological, there's physiological, there's spiritual self-care. There's like work-life balance because you do have to take your job into account. And I'm just like, some of these areas I've legitimately never even considered a form of self-care but it also shows so it's i've been sharing that with everybody just because i mean like i said we're just all going to end up being so alone if we can't talk about these things especially because as i start sharing these things with so many of my friends they also are having that aha moment like yeah i wouldn't even consider that to be a form of self-care and that all came about because you're like, I had lunch with a friend and I'm just like reading this list and I'm like, I really don't reach out to people as much as I used to, huh? I'm just so caught up in my day-to-day routine, but then you don't even think about like having lunch with a friend being like mental health right? medicine, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's- yeah. Uh, one thing that I've done relatively recently um on the work-life balance, I was notorious for it. It's eight o'clock where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. I would open my email if I got an email and reply to it right away. Yeah. I, I turned off my notifications for Outlook and my boss knows if it's <laughs> after this time and it's via email, it's not getting done till the next day, the next business day. Mm-hmm. So that means weekends and everything. Um, if you need something urgent from me, he knows he can call or text me. Yeah, absolutely. But if it's, if it's not urgent, it sits in my email. In the past, I would watch my fucking outlook notifications like a hawk, man. And like, Oh, got to see what they need. Like they don't need this presentation at fucking 10 o'clock at night. They're (laughs) just telling me that's what they want me to work on. Like, okay, I got it. No, I'm the same to where it'd be like ADHD, I can't have any notifications on my home screen at all. But what you start to see so quickly is I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't have any work emails left, beautiful, done. And you feel like you're accomplishing something in the moment you do. Um, Like, okay, all these emails are taken care of. I got this task taken care of. And holy shit, it's 11 o'clock at night. I did not exercise today. I forgot to eat dinner. I forgot to do this. And it's like, okay, I got all of those things done, but I have put myself absolutely last. Yeah. And you can only do that for so long. I said, and that's the, such the deceiving part 
of it all because thinking, okay, well, if I wake up tomorrow and already have 10 things on the list, I'm going to be overwhelmed. But what you're really going to be overwhelmed with in the long run is getting hit with you have high blood pressure because you haven't been taking care of yourself. (laughs) When is the last time you actually went outside for a walk? And everybody like our age, our mindset, work ethic is going to say the same thing. It's like, okay, yeah, but like I have been grinding, you know, we are uh, the economy. Right. (laughs) It's like, we're doing what we can, man. And we're working and we're getting things done. But it's like, at some point, at some point, you have to put your foot down and put yourself first somehow. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably one of the most important things we've we've touched on is, you know, whether we're talking about creating art as a coping mechanism, self-care, the support circles, at some point, you need to be your own priority. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not to say like, you know, like we were saying, don't be an asshole to somebody because fuck you, it's my time and nothing, you know, whatever, like take your time. But if somebody reaches out to you that is looking for potentially help as well, like it's still okay to be there for people. Like, and I know that's not, you're not saying obviously to fuck everybody else either, but like, I think whether it's the the grind or hustle culture that we've grown up with or whatever, a lot of times people assume that if you're making yourself a priority, that you're being selfish and that nobody else is involved or nobody else is allowed to talk to you. It's just making sure that your needs are met too, because, you know, like you said, like you may kind of take care of everybody else. I know this used to be huge for me and I'm still about it in the sense of I try to make sure everybody else is taken care of before I look at myself Mm -hmm. and that's a it's a good thing in the sense that obviously those around me know they can count on me but at some point that becomes that work-life balance too where now taking care of my friend group is a job and now I'm outweighing my own you know self-care or health by doing that like cool I left work but now I have to check on these seven people. I have to make sure everybody's okay. I have to go to the store for this person. Like, it's okay to be like, hey, I can't go to the store for you today or I can't grab dinner tonight. Like, I just need me time. I need a couple hours to myself. Now, I even had somebody pose the question to me. Um, you know, they're like, okay, so say, you know, you're making the schedule at work and you try to put, yourself in a position that conveniences you but it might inconvenience one of your coworkers. you realize that that you're not being an asshole in that instant right right like it is okay to do that and i'm like no it's not right <laughs> what do you mean I'm like okay how many times has your job inconvenienced you in your entire it doesn't have to be your current job work has always been an inconvenience they do not hesitate to call you if they need you, whatever it may be. Yeah. So the second that you are given a position of responsibility and you have to slightly inconvenience somebody else for your own benefit, you really think that that's a bad thing? It's if you make a habit of it or that's your natural get right. if you just don't care what other people deal with, but it's like, put yourself on the other side. You have also been there. 
and you probably didn't even know that they were doing it for their own benefit. Right. It's like, it's, it really is okay to put yourself first sometimes. And I'm just like, I mean, I refuse to believe it, but <laughs> no, we'll, uh, we'll get there. Yeah. And I'm the same way. Like I would say a solid 95% of the time myself isn't first in the sense of like, like, obviously I try to make sure I'm healthy and, and whatnot, but like, if it's okay, I could go to the grocery store for myself or my buddy could really use a hand mowing the yard and, and doing some landscaping. Nine times out of 10, I'm going to go help my buddy instead of going to the grocery store for myself. Yeah. You know, and it's, I'm not saying don't do things for other people, but at some point, if that's like, okay, every weekend I'm over there instead of buying groceries. So now I'm eating out all the time, which is a very real thing out all the fucking time <laughs> and i mean i'm i'm literally drinking from a burger king cup um so you know then you start looking at at like you said earlier about the balance now he's taking affecting my health it's affecting my bank account it's affected you know there's so much more negatives where if I just would have been like, hey, man, I can't help you this weekend. I've got some stuff I got to take care of. He's not going to be pissed. He's going, okay, cool. See you next weekend or whatever. And I can get my shit done, you know? Um, and, and I think that's, sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. I mentioned the breaking point thing earlier. And there's, God, we always have to throw it back to the memes. Um, you know, there was this, <laughs> meme going around on like LinkedIn and everything and it's like when your body needs to take a rest is when the tank is on a quarter of the way empty yeah not when it is all the way empty but that is typically when we actually put ourselves first and that's where I've been or that's at least how I feel with the new you know kind of strategy I have of either taking a day off or taking five minutes to take a breather to where I never really understood what like my elders so to speak were on right. about where it's you know man i just need a day but i've so much gotten better at being able to recognize that to where like you said it's to say no to a friend for once isn't a bad thing or to not put yourself first for the sake of going out to eat with a friend isn't a bad thing but you and talking about these things and being diagnosed with whatever you're dealing with really have to have to work at it you know it's not got anxiety and I haven't even started taking medicine specifically for the anxiety yet because I said like I want to get to the root of my issues before I just slap bam here's some medicine yeah go be free you know it's there's a very big difference between being in the middle of like a depressive episode and saying no to a friend versus I mean, you know, it's unique for everybody, but I just think about myself to where it's, I can feel it coming on now to where the stress I can actually explain is because I haven't put me time because now I actually have a glimpse of what taking care of myself looks like. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It, it's interesting that you bring up that, that meme about the gas tank. I don't think my dad meant it that way back when he was alive and told me this, when I was just starting to drive, 
he always reinforced in me that you never drive your your car to empty right mm-hmm. you should always have at least a quarter tank of gas when you're going to the gas station and so like i've always done that growing up and whatnot and i literally just told a couple of the girls that i work with that like a month or two ago and uh one of the girls is like holy shit like i've never thought about that my dad's reasoning for it was if you're on e and an emergency comes up you can't get there you're never going to make it but if you have a quarter tank of gas like you you can probably get to where you need to go um and when i was telling her one of the girls that was like holy shit she's like my gas light's on right now like if (laughs) if we had to go to the hospital we can't take my car now because i wouldn't make it to the hospital and now she's she told me just the other day I joked with her. She said something about needing to get gas. And I was like, is your gas light on? She's like, never again. It'll never be on again because of that. Like she's got two little kids. God forbid something happens. That's awesome. I, I need to get there. And I think, it, you know, transitioning that into your personal life, you know, thinking about your gas tank is a great point too, because, you know, if you're constantly running yourself to empty, you're never going to be able to do one more thing or, like enjoy a lot of things right because you're just too tired you've worn yourself out you're not able to make it but if you give yourself at least a quarter tank before you have to recharge like okay well i was going to take saturday off and and do all my errands but you know what i can go help him my buddy for for two hours and then then i can go do my stuff like you can start making these compromises where you're not totally worn out yeah and blowing off friends or uh becoming that selfish person that the perception is and i find too just being able to prioritize that time for myself helps me recharge faster than yeah i probably thought it would take to where i'm like oh i've got wednesday off thank god i just need a day and um you know part of my like homework from my therapist was to write down how much time I'm taking each day just to do things. Right. Cause he's like, you think you don't have time to do X, Y, and Z. He's like, write down how much time you're actually on social media, Netflix, whatever. And in doing that, I'm like, I have my off day. There's nothing I need to do. I get to rest, recharge by 2 PM. I was so bored <laughs> that I started working on projects again. Yeah. And I'm like, that's actually pretty awesome because there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying like, I had an off day and I started to work, but it was only okay because I made that decision. I got back up to, you know, full quicker than I thought, but that hopefully that's a sign of growth. You know, it doesn't, doesn't take me two or three days to get back there again, because I am now, I've been on E running on e now that you can make that a priority you can bounce back and yeah i mean what the like typical cliche that they say but it's so true i mean if you're always going to be on e you're never going to be help to anybody you're putting everybody else first you know you're making the schedule for the employees at work and you always put them first if you get to e all of a sudden if like somebody requests a day off i'll threaten to fire them like yeah. Why, why should somebody be fired over requesting a day off? And it's, 
well, because I am so far past E, the gate has broken off <laughs> and I just, I don't want to deal with anybody. You know? Yeah. Um, something interesting, you know, you made the comment about media time and stuff. So I've got an iPhone and you can go into your screen time and see exactly what apps you're scrolling on and stuff like that and how much time you're actually using. Um, and I think it's like mine always says that I have a lot, but it's because I listen to Spotify and stuff while I'm at work. So it registers all that. But like, I think it's important for people to, to take a minute and look at some of that stuff. Like today, um, being totally honest, uh, only 30 minutes on, on Facebook itself, but an hour and a half on TikTok the fuck was i doing on tiktok for an hour and a half you know those videos are at most three minutes long like think about that what could i have done instead um and you know to your point about kind of i think that's a a very helpful strategy to especially like a day i'm gonna say not even a day off like day offs are are important but take your normal work day because you know you're at work you know eight to five or whatever it is so that time you've already got blocked out. What happens from five o'clock to 11 o'clock when you go to bed? Yeah. Like that's going to be interesting. You have, you should have six hours depending on your commute and stuff. You could easily go to the grocery store, cook dinner, work out. Like there's a lot of productive things you could do. Obviously some days are harder than others. So you're not going to always do that. But realistically, how many people are going home after work and the first two hours are sitting on the couch watching Netflix, yeah, you know, or whatever the case may be. I'm a big video game fan, but there's a lot of times that I have to tell myself like, all right, I'm just going to play this until six o'clock and then I have to go get food or I have to go do this because if I don't, I know myself and I'll sit there and I'll waste the whole fucking night and then be mad. Like, well, shit, I didn't, now I have to take a shower when I get up instead of before going to bed. And now I have to do this. And it's like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, why did I waste that time? Yeah. It's that unwinding process. Like it's still so important regardless. Um, and I know it's so boring, so boring to do, but you're absolutely right. Like so important to say like, okay, I have to give myself a cutoff time. I have to do use some form of discipline here because again i'm going to do the same thing i like texted my boss today like as soon as i got home hit the bed immediately but i was like i'm going to give myself five minutes because if i stay here longer than five minutes i'm probably either not going to eat i'm going to fall asleep and then i'm going to like miss this phone call right and then it's going to make me look bad i'm going to be upset that i missed it like and that reverberates into so many other things. Like you can't, you have to find, and I mean, that's the hardest part probably about all of it, just about being a, you know, like independent adult or anything is that motivation needs to come from within at some point. Like it's great that we have this phone call today for me to look forward to, but just because we don't have this phone call the next four days doesn't mean Tuesday through Friday I can come home and just hit the bed and go to sleep immediately. Like, no, I still need to at least try my best, put my right foot forward, still get out of bed. I need to 
clean up after my pets, go grocery shopping, whatever those things may be. It doesn't always have to be as exciting as talking to somebody about your right. band and <laughs> right. all of this stuff. But I just told someone the other day and they, they actually made fun of me about it, but I don't care. Um, I'm one of those people like legitimately, if I know, so it's about a 30 minute right now there's construction. So about a 40 minute commute to and from the office for me. If I take my shoes off after I get home, I'm done. I, I'm in the house the rest of the day. That's just how I am. So like I'll literally come home, keep my shoes on and like start laundry or whatever. If I know, okay, I'm going to go to the grocery store or whatever, because mm -hmm. if I, I'm, I'm a hundred, if I take my shoes off, I have quote unquote, I'm home for the night and yeah. I don't want to get back up and go back out. So it's learning those things about yourself too. Like, okay, can I plug my phone in and walk away from it to go clean? Or, you know, like, do we have to be attached to all these things? And I think, you know, kind of to both of our points here about limiting some of that, it, I think people will realize or find out about themselves if you put your phone on the charger and walk away from it to go do the other thing. You're not going to be thinking about your phone. You're not no. going to be worried about opening Facebook. Like you're going to do the thing that you went over to do clean the bathroom or are you going to be happy about it? Probably not, but <laughs> it'll be done. And then when you get back to your phone, 99% of the time you missed much. Yeah. So. And I actually bought AirPods for that exact reason, yeah. because I like having, or especially listening to music, but, you know, even if it's just conversations with people, I'm a big, big phone talker, you know, Zoom caller, all of those things. I'm very big on that form of communication versus like text messages and stuff like that. So whenever it's time to do laundry and chores and things like that, I want to be on the phone, but I very quickly started realizing that if my phone is in my hand <laughs> while I'm doing these things and a Facebook notification pops up, that's it. Yep. That is it. So like AirPods or any Bluetooth headphones have been just a godsend because I'm just like, put on a playlist, press play, and I can walk around the entire place, yeah. do whatever I need to do. And I've got the phone call or the music in my ears and I can get it done. Yeah. And it just, it's the silliest thing, but I know everybody can relate to it because it, it's the world we live in, but it makes such a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I got an Apple watch and a lot of people are like, oh, that's just one more connection to, to the, the phone and everything else. But honestly, what I have found is it's made me more productive because like you said, if I've got my phone with me and I get a text, I reply to that text right away. Oh, yeah. If it's on my watch, I look at it, I read the text and go, I can get back to that one. I don't have to reply right away. I have the option to, obviously, yeah. but it's it's a small screen. I don't want to, to, you know, try to draw my letters or speak to text or whatever. So like a lot of times I'll be doing laundry. I'll look at it. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll get back to them. Finish, you know, putting the laundry in, then go reply to the text and then move on to the next thing. Um, and I'm the same way as far as like music, I have to have music playing and stuff like that because it, 
it distracts me, but also focuses me. Like, especially yeah. working out, right? Like we all put on like heavy music to lift or, you know, upbeat stuff to run to. And there's a psychology to all of that. And I think it's important to learn. I mean, this is a music podcast, so hopefully most people know what music they like, but it's important to learn those things. Like what triggers you? What can you listen to that's going to make you productive versus what do you listen to that slows you down or makes you get super introspective and maybe not, not focus on the task at hand. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, once people learn those things about themselves, to your point earlier, it's a very hard, hard habit to change. But once you start learning these things about yourself, you can go, okay, I can become more productive by doing this. I can be more positive by doing this. When I get my chores done, you know, an hour and a half after I get home from work, that gives me four and a half hours to fuck around and do whatever I want. Why would I not sacrifice an hour and a half (laughs) to get four and a half versus shit, I wasted five hours. Now I have an hour to try to rush and get everything done. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's crazy. And I think what I kind of want to bring us back around and, and, you know, get to the close here on is that also goes for creating art, you know, like there's a balance to that too. If it becomes a crutch and everybody's different, we've said that a few times and it's a million percent true, but if, if you're not going out to be with friends because quote, I have to work on this piece of art. Is it really a beneficial thing that you're doing now? Or have you turned this into another burden on yourself? Yeah. Especially if you're not actually getting it done in that time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Say I need to get this thing done. And then an hour later, you realize your phone has been in your hand this entire time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the importance that we both kind of touched on there at the end is. But disconnecting from your phone in some tactile function, like that's going to be where you're able to start being more productive and things like that and to your point earlier social media is pretty fucking toxic so why do we want to spend so much time on it absolutely the do not disturb function best (laughs) function that's what i've got right now like it's that's kind of my nicotine patch so to speak which i've never i've never smoked cigarettes so that might be insensitive but like my phone is right here and I've got my like favorites, you know, they're the people who can bypass that. Right. So great. If it's somebody close to me who really needs to get in touch with me, they know that they can call and then call again and they'll get through to me and I'm not going to miss an emergency, but otherwise all of the bullshit notifications that's, that's gone right now. That's blocked out. This conversation is what's important. But I think that that's, like I said, in like everyday use, beautiful if it can be executed. That way it's, you know, not so shocking as 
well, I can't leave my house without my phone. It's like, okay, but at least you're keeping all of those notifications, whether it's the do not disturb or you mentioned, you know, you turned off your Outlook notifications, that way you're not getting those emails, like whatever those little steps are. Again, sounds so silly sometimes to say it, but once you live it, it's just like the difference between me being asleep right now and us having this engaging conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. And I I think, you know, it's funny that you bring up those notifications. I don't, I don't personally use the do not disturb. Like I said, most of it's on my, my watch, but on my home screen right now, I've got my emails, obviously not my work ones, but my normal emails. I have one text message, Instagram notification, and three Facebook messages. Like, but I've not touched it because this is what's important. And I think prioritizing things over, like, I know that none of those were an emergency because I glanced at them on my watch. But again, (laughs) I didn't have to reply to it right away either. Um, And I think, you know, what I want to kind of remind people is what we've said several times now, it's important and okay to make yourself a priority. And like for me, and I think you're saying the same thing, this was a priority for me. I knew that this time slot, this is what I'm going to do, period. So it's not selfish or anything to be like, hey, from you know seven o'clock until I tell you I'm not available. Yeah. Sorry, I've got stuff that I have to do. And I think you said it earlier, if A, you're legitimate with it, but B, if it's not an every time thing, you know, if you're every single day, you're like, absolutely not, you know, I'm from this time to this time, I'm a hard shut off or whatever. It may be okay for your mindset, but it may not always be okay for your relationships. And I think you have to take that into consideration <laughs> um, that even I I don't have a way to make this not sound like a negative thing about self-care. It's a negative and a positive. Sometimes self-care means there will be consequences with other relationships. But a lot of times the, the relationships that suffer from that are not the ones that are entirely, uh, What's it, what am I, what am I looking for? I know you're on the same path as me. It's, they're not always the ones that are most beneficial for your well-being. Yeah. Oh, you mentioned you were bringing it to a close. And if I bring up this next point, we're going to stray far from that. So I have to ask, (laughs) are you okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing the rest of the night. (laughs) So I had a conversation with, I say it's my boss, but it's like one of my closest friends who I just work with. Um, she's my direct superior, but you know, whatever. Um, in talking to her, cause she has like a psychology degree and in talking to my therapist and a bunch of other things, you know, we talk about depression and anxiety. You brought up trauma, but I don't think that people focus on trauma itself enough because yeah. it's very easy to say, like me, okay, now I'm diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. Cool. What about the traumas that I have endured? Because I can take a 
some type of medicine to help fix whatever chemical imbalance I have, or I can use these new tools of, you know, like taking a second to breathe or whatever it may be to help with the stress of everyday life. But what we're talking about now is its whole other entity where I asked her that exact question where I said, I'm trying to put myself first. I'm trying to make myself a priority, do these things. What do I do when somebody says something to me like that? Like you don't make enough time for me anymore, things like that. And she gave me this concept of having your people where, and you know it as soon as I say it, there are those people in your life you may not have talked to for two years. You call them right now. It's like nothing has ever changed. There is no, why has it been two years since you last contacted me? This is your people. You're great. And she said exactly where you were going, that if you try to make yourself vulnerable to somebody, say something like this, especially if she's like, you know, if it's not that you killed somebody, just that, (laughs) hey, like maybe I'm a Democrat, but you're a Republican whatever you know just something that's like controversial like that but not a deal breaker as to who you are as a person and they can't get on board with that you probably don't need them in your life yeah and it's a very sad thing to say and that's why i say like we're getting away from the clothes here because that's i think my biggest trauma that continues to unravel and that i'm dealing with is that when you get so accustomed to that, to making yourself vulnerable to somebody and getting rejected in whatever way, whether it's, you know, asking somebody out on a date or they just, they're not okay with you being a different political view or they're not okay with where you're headed with your life makes it a lot harder to be vulnerable with people moving forward. Yeah makes it harder to knock down that trauma that stigma and that's why i say like focusing on that in and of itself is something too is so important to be able to recognize that to say like again hey like it's man it's really hard for me to be vulnerable with you because so many other people have left me before so some people will forever just put up a wall but to also recognize right now that hey like, if you have a problem with the things that I'm saying to you about, like, my deepest star herself, you can go fuck yourself, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> do, why am I trying so hard to impress you? Yeah. You know, like, put the ball back in your court. Be like, okay, I'm not the greatest human being in the world, but there's nothing wrong with, you know, having a political affiliation or a religious view. But most importantly, like, there's nothing wrong with not being okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've... I've often said, like, you know, there's hope for the day. Um, Their kind of motto is, it's okay not to be okay. Um, But I've often said that, you know, I'm a broken person, but that doesn't mean that I'm a worthless person. You know, something or someone is broken doesn't mean it loses value. A lot of times it actually, obviously material things, lose value some value when they're broken but like us as people i think a lot 
of and maybe it's the hollywood syndrome you know like rose-colored glasses type of deal where we see all these happy people and they're beautiful and they're successful and whatever but you know robin williams was one of the most successful actors ever and the dude committed suicide you know he's viewed as one of the happiest people yeah but, but he wasn't you know and i think my point with this is more often than not the people that have been through trauma and that are or have acknowledged their trauma and are trying to grow and heal and and you know become better people are often the people that you would prefer to have in your life because they're also going to help you grow and heal and understand that some days you know i've got a friend that I could call right now and just be like, Hey, I had a fucking shit day. And I know there's zero judgment. They're just going to cool, man. What happened? Like, tell me about it. And though <laughs> we started doing this thing, I've got two friends specifically that we do this thing before either of us vents. Do you want answers or do you want to vent? <laughs> and it, it changes how our conversation goes. If yeah. you want answers, we can look at it logically. Like, did you actually have a shit day or are you dwelling on one thing? And, you know, like, we'll figure it out. Do you just want to be pissed off for five minutes while you tell me a story? Cool. Go for it. You know? And I think that helps too, because again, we go back to that open communication and being clear about what we need. Like there have been days that I've called a friend and I'm like, Hey, I had a shit day. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to hear about it. Yeah. And it, it, just getting it off your chest and at the end of that call my buddy man that that sucks let me know if there's anything you want me to do and that's all it takes you know we're i've said this before on this podcast and and my other one but people like i speak most commonly from a, a point of view of uh depression because that's what i have um so it's easy for me to speak about that. I have never, looking back in my life, I have never went to anyone with any of my problems, especially in a depressive episode, and expected you to fix me. All I've asked for is for someone to listen, to understand, and to have a little empathy and be like, yeah, that fucking sucks, you know? And I think it's important that people start to realize that, you know, whether it's family members or friends or whoever, like if someone is coming to you with their trauma, nine to 10, they're not asking you to fix the trauma. They just need you to know about it. Yeah. I just need a judgment-free zone for five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously like there are cases not that we're going to get super deep in it, but you know, when it comes to like physical traumas, yes, people are probably looking for some, you know, I, I don't want to get graphic in it, but let's say it's, it's rape, you know, they're probably coming to you to, to help go through the law process or, you know, help them report it, things like that. But they're not asking you to make it go away. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's the important thing is a lot of times people assume that if someone comes to you with a problem or a event or whatever, 
that they want you to be the, the therapist or the psychologist and, and fix this problem for me. That's just not the case, man, like at all. And I know you know that. The worst part is when they take it personally or defensive. And that's when, like you said, that's when I don't personally think I've lost somebody to suicide as far as I'm aware. So I don't, you know, even want to pretend to think what, you know, would drive somebody to that point. But, you know, I can't help but think, you know, if I go to somebody, I'm like, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And they're like, okay, but you got it made so good. And like, especially if it's a parent, I mean, I don't want to get too deep in it, but that's right. where a lot of, you know, my traumas come from to where if I go to a parent, I'm like, this is what I'm dealing with. And they're like, okay, but I put a roof over your head and this is everything I've done for you. I'm never going to speak a fucking word ever again. Yep. And the more that that happens, the less likely I'm going to open up, more likely I'm going to bottle it up inside and continue down the dark path to convince myself that nobody gives a shit about me even though you know it's not true in that moment in that you know attack or headspace rabbit hole whatever you want to call it you 110 percent believe that to be true and there's nothing that anybody can do to convince yourself otherwise yeah so i'm gonna say something and it's a pretty bold statement so i want people to take it with a grain of salt but (laughs) If you have someone in your life that keeps a scorecard about your relationship with them, you seriously need to reevaluate your relationship with that person. You are telling me, holy shit. <laughs> if I don't think that's a bold statement at all. I think that's a very true factual statement. Yeah. If, if you go to someone, you know, your, your point, obviously parents, we know all the things that they do for us. <laughs> at least for the first, you know, so many years that they're, they're involved directly. But if you have anyone that holds things over your head, well, but remember the time that, you know, I, I put gas in your car. Remember the time that I did this for you? Like, no, fuck off. This isn't a, we're not playing a game. It's not who scores the most points. If this friendship and relationship isn't in the sense of, we do for each other because that's the right thing to do and that's what we feel good about then why are why are we in this if if our relationship can be put down on a piece of paper and we could do you know like the little fucking t-chart and like a pros and cons list <laughs> and we scorecard out, well, you bought dinner three times. You know, I've got friends that we don't even ask each other. Like if we go out to dinner, it's whoever's faster on getting their card out because we know the other one's going to pick up a, a bill a different time or whatever. Like we don't care, you know, like, and I'm, I'm one of those people. I hate asking for help or asking for anything in general, but like, you know, if, if a friend picks up the the dinner tab, but we're going to go to a movie, guess what? I'm buying his fucking ticket. Like that's all there is to it. And that's the way a relationship should be. If it was the whole, like, Hey, you should buy my ticket because I bought dinner. And then I, you know, I drove us here and we did that. Like, no, you're just holding shit over my head. Like, yeah, that's not a good relationship or a healthy 
relationship to be in. And I think obviously with family, that's a lot harder. Um, so I highly recommend if anyone's, you know, still listening to this and is wanting to practice this exercise, number one, make a, and I'm not a therapist. I'm going to put that in the beginning of this episode. Like I always do. I'm not a therapist or, you know, a licensed counselor or anything, but I I do think an, an exercise that helps. And it's one that I've done is make kind of that pros and cons list and look at, you know, parents will use that, you know, they did put a roof over my head. They, you know, made sure I was taken care of for school. They did these things, but at what cost? If I can't openly talk to that person, it's cost too much to have that relationship. Yeah. If you go down this path, if any listener goes down this path, have party involved as well to be objective, whether that's an member, a a close friend, whatever, because inevitably when dealing with trauma, things get amplified, right? You know, I think you can agree to that, that sometimes we look at what we've been through and go, man, this is really fucked up. And it may be to us, but somebody objectively can look at it and be like, I mean, it is, but it's not that bad because this is all that that really happened. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's fair. You know? But I think it's important because you need to have that safety net too. Like you don't want, obviously it's an emotional conversation, but you don't want it to be so emotionally driven that it becomes irrational. Yeah. You don't want to go into it having already made the decision. Right. Saying, you know, I you don't want to make a scorecard, you know, or a pros and cons list with the intent of cutting the person out of your life because if that is your intent you will find every single reason to do so yeah if that's your intent you've already cut them out of your life you just haven't actually done it yet (laughs) you know your your point that got us here is a hundred percent correct i don't think enough people focus on the root of the problem, the trauma that caused these issues. And it's a, it's a heavy thing, you know, and you being in therapy can attest to that. You don't have to get super deep in it, but like that first, probably I'm going to say three or four sessions, probably were relatively uncomfortable because it's that whole like feeling it out process and things like that. And it, it can be weird and off-putting initially to be like, okay, well, here's all my trauma and lay everything out on the table. You know, (laughs) here's my whole heart and soul. Now tell me that I'm right. And you're not always going to be told that you're right. But I think that is, if people are open to it, that is the great part of therapy is that challenge of, you know, I brought up at one point, I'm like, Okay, so say like I'm lonely and I have these thoughts about, you know, I romanticize a situation with somebody, but I know that that's not somebody I could ever be with. And the therapist was like, but that's not inherently a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to picture what your life would be like with somebody who's going down a different life path. That's just being rational. Yeah. That you're not judging somebody. I mean, it's no different than if you were 
actually talking to two or three people and saying, who is the one I would want to be in a committed relationship with? I'm saying, okay, well, this person smokes and does this. This person uses no substances. This person, you're not judging them. You're just seeing the different paths that they're going down and how it's compatible to your life. Yeah. But it's, it's very strange. The, the strangest part of therapy, honestly, was the aha moment, I call it, <laughs> because it's, it's very easy to sit down and tell somebody all of your problems because you're going to, you're automatically going to put up whatever guards that you have in mind. Right. If I don't want to tell you who traumatized me, I will happily just say, yeah, this is something I've been dealing with, or you can keep it just that I've been really mad lately. I don't know why, but I've been mad. You probably know why, but you know, session of talking about it. Okay, cool. You're probably not taking care of yourself. You know, another session, then you get to, yeah, just, I don't really reach out to people anymore. And it's like, okay, well, answer me this. Have a lot of people left you? And that's when it's like, oh, uh, <laughs> it's so easy to talk about it. And then you get hit with it. And it's just like, oh, didn't, I thought I was a big tough guy. Didn't think I would be crying to a stranger. Now you're crying to a stranger. So it's, but again, having that perspective, if you're open to it, I mean, that's everything because right. you think, you know, the problem. And a lot of times we think that we're the problem. I mean, that's why I went. I was like, I am reacting to these situations poorly. I don't like who I'm becoming. And everybody's just like, dude, you got to be easy on yourself. Like, you are acting the way you're acting, probably because you're scared, because you don't want to be judged, or because you think that if you're truly yourself with people, they're going to leave you. And I mean, that's a whole pill to swallow. But at the end of the day, like, wow, I'm not villainizing myself anymore. Like, it's okay to be me. It's okay to say, if you're not okay with me, I probably don't need you in my life. Like, that's pretty damn empowering. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. Like, I don't want to say to you for, for specific things, but it's okay if certain people are in your life only for certain things, you know, like, your situation with your producer is obviously different because you guys are friends and you do have a, a close relationship, but like, let's say somebody at work, like my boss, I know I could come to with anything that I need to personal or work, but that's also not his responsibility. Yeah. And it's okay that he's just my boss. Like there are going to be people in your lives that are, boy, that sounds negative, that are kind of background characters, in a sense. Yeah. You know, like, there are people that you're going to maintain relationships with, friendships or whatever, that are superficial to some extent. Like, I've got friends from high school that really, that's all they are. They're not super involved in my life anymore, but they're friends from high school. I don't dislike any of them necessarily and you know whatever like but are they on my you know in my support circle of a I can call this person no but that's okay not everybody in your life is going to be in that tight circle I think that's definitely 
again, I hate to always bring it back to social media because a lot of it does <laughs> have to do with the trauma, but I think that that's definitely something that social media really exacerbates and makes worse to where you see, I mean, there have been such silly instances of, I saw this person interacting with this person's post, but they weren't <laughs> interacting with me. So obviously there must be something going on here. Something has come between us and then it ended up becoming a conversation or a big deal. And whoever's on the receiving end of that, like, why didn't you like my post? It's going to be like, you're a psychopath. Right. <laughs> you no, know? but I mean, that makes it so much worse because it's so true that not you know, even on social media, there are going to be those people you interact with every single post and some people, eh, you don't really. And like, yeah. but that is okay. That yeah. is so okay. But when all of a sudden everybody's, support circles in social lives are publicized and put on display for everybody to see it's like oh my god it yeah. makes it to the point to where now and i mean that's what i've chosen to do i'm sure everybody has their answer like if you go through my personal facebook instagram i dare you to find the last post that i had made that it wasn't about music and for a long time I had especially family members, if not just friends, they were like, dude, I don't, I don't want this to be awkward, but are you okay? And I was like, yeah, what, why, what's going on? And they're like, you haven't posted on Facebook in like months. You used to post memes and stuff all the time. And I'm like, you know what? I understand. I get that. I definitely don't. But like, to be perfectly fair, I'm not, not posting because I'm upset. I'm just like, I'd much rather just talk to you like this than post a meme. And now our only casual interaction is you commenting on my silly meme every few months. Right. Yeah. And I think within that too, when, when we become too visible, I guess is the word I'm going to use on social media with our, our problems and, the support circle becomes apparent and things like that, like that can risk relationships too, because now, you know, you comment on my post about me being, you know, down or whatever. And people see that and they're like, oh, well, well, Jeffrey and Josh seem to be in the same mental state or, you know, like both of them are always so fucking sad. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to so more positivity in my life or whatever. And that's not to say don't show your emotions. You know, if social media is where you go to do it, that's fine. But yeah. to my, there are still consequences to certain things. And some of those consequences may be friends or family being like, hey, are, are you okay? That was pretty fucking dark. Like, what's going on? And if you are able to talk to them about it, like, you have to understand that you need to figure that out and say, yeah, I'm okay. Like, or no, I'm not okay, but I, I'm talking to somebody about it. It's okay from that aspect or whatever. Um, but I think too, you know, we've touched on social media and the toxicity of it a few times, but I think it's important because honestly, like the generation, so I'm 36. So the generation under me and the next generation, like y'all have had social media since you were born. Like it, yeah. it's just been there. I was in like seventh grade before MySpace became a thing, you know? So like I grew up without it. And I think that's where 
the elders and the older generation don't understand social media. I think my generation is in that kind of weird but good gap of we understand it. We probably don't use it as well as we should. Maybe <laughs> we overuse it. But then the youngest generation, like, that's all you fucking do. Like, yeah. get off of that. That's why that's that's not why you have the problems that you have. That's complicating the problems that you have, though. Yeah. Because there's that comparison, the instant gratification, you know, like you can speak to this from a band perspective. When you post something on Instagram and it doesn't get any likes within that first 10 minutes or whatever, it's like, well, fuck, did we miss the mark? Was it just a bad time of posting? Like, do people not like us anymore? All yeah. these these thoughts start going through your head and it's like, oh no, the, the fucking algorithm just is bullshit and <laughs> we just didn't show up anywhere, you know, that was worth it. And I think that's something most people don't take into consideration too, to your point, like, well, you haven't posted in a long time or have I? And the algorithm just hasn't shown you my posts. Yeah. You know, the, from a creator standpoint, you and I both can see this now, you know, like I don't care so much about my personal Facebook or my per personal Instagram, what the algorithm does to that. But when I post from, from my businesses, like, I give a fuck if the algorithm yeah. is, is fucked up and you know I post at the optimal time I get nothing off of it it's like okay what what part of this wasn't right um and from a band perspective wait I think I lost you there for a second that people are seeing what we're putting out there. My favorite, um, <laughs> the funniest example has been coming from us and um, I'm pretty good friends with the singer from Cane Hill, if you've heard of Cane Hill. Um, yeah. They were like shit posting on their Twitter the other day and he was just like, love how well the teaser for our new song's doing. No, none of you motherfuckers are going to actually share the actual song when it comes out. Because every single time, like I posted even us with the song we released last Friday, I posted a screenshot of the music video on Facebook the day before. 100 likes. Great. Incredible. Post the music video, 30 likes, no shares. So I was like, what? Yeah. Makes no sense. It happens every single time. It's undeniable. Yeah. Well, and I do, I do photography as one of my side jobs too, like family portraits and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the same boat. I cannot tell you how many times I've posted like, Hey, fall mini sessions are coming up and people are like, fuck. Yeah, this is so cool. Like, like share tons of comments. Cool. I'm ready to start taking bookings. Fucking crickets. Uh, yep. And it's like, what you guys thought it was a badass idea two weeks ago. What the fuck happened? Like, <laughs> where where'd everybody go and like you know that's not to say that we're asking for money or anything like that but it, it goes to prove the point of like a it could just be the algorithm fucks us up but b it it goes back to the problem of social media in general and the toxicity of it where like you know you get these flashes of of a lot of support and people start feeling good about themselves, whether it's a band or an individual, like 
people all the time get the, that one Instagram photo that's just right and it hits just the, the right people or whatever and oh. boom, you have a thousand likes and you start feeling amazing. And then your next post gets two likes and it's your mom and your grandma. Like, wait, what, you, why'd everybody leave? Or, you know, whatever, because that instant gratification's gone. And I think that goes back into what you said earlier about uh, your writing and having the right support circle to go, hey, here's something I made. Can you please take a look and yeah. tell me what you think? Or, and very rarely, obviously we all have egos to some extent, but very rarely do we hand over a piece of art and be like, great I am. You know, <laughs> like at least not in a serious way, right? Like jokingly, absolutely. I've done that where like, I've sent one of my concert photos to a group of friends and I'm like, look at how badass I am it's totally a fucking joke. What I really want is people to be like, dude, that's pretty cool. Like, but what if you would have done this or like, you know, change, change the lighting here. And like for music, for you guys, especially like, well, what if you added this, this drum line over here? Yeah. Oh, shit, you know, we never thought about that. And maybe that sparks some inspiration, but I think that support circles where that comes in very heavily that with the toxicity of social media, sometimes the toxicity of the people around us, having those that core group of, of people that can say, hey, the world's not out to get you. It's just the wrong people are looking at your stuff. Yeah. I mean, that even goes back to just, you know, on some subconscious level that we probably aren't even thinking. I'm like, I'm afraid of getting rejected by family members, friends, if I'm vulnerable. But I mean, what do you think social media is doing to you every time you post something? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, you know, now, like I said, I don't, I don't not use it because of that, but rather the things that I use it for, I only post from like points of pride or importance, so to speak, to where it's like, if I post this music video, whatever, it only gets three likes. Like, that's fine. Like, I'm just sharing something that I'm stoked to be doing or part of whatever. So me sharing it is because sharing it is fulfilling to me, not the fulfillment comes from how many likes it's going to get. Yeah. Because, I mean, that just falls into the rest of life. If you continue to put the likes or the shares or other people in front of you, I mean, it's never going to end. It's never going to be fulfilling. You got to put yourself first. Yeah. So to tie it back to our original topic of the creating art as a coping mechanism, um, if you're creating art for others and for others' appreciation, you're probably not creating art for the right reasons. And I know that's maybe controversial because some people are going to be like, well, but, you know, did did Van Gogh paint because he, he wanted it for himself or did he do it to sell? I don't know. I didn't know Van Gogh, but like realistically, I think a lot of times there's obviously our own personal truths within our art. Yeah. And, you know, I think you said it earlier where if you set out with the intention that we're going to look at the algorithm and find out, the formula to make the perfect song that every single person just absolutely adores 
okay, so that happened once. Is it going to happen again? Are you going to be able to, to repeat it? And are you going to feel, feel fulfilled? Or is it going to be this emptiness that now I have to create stuff that other people tell me is good because I can't feel what's good now? I personally would much rather create something to your point that I'm happy with and proud of and go, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, honestly, like it sounds self-centered, but I don't give a shit because I'm proud of what I made. And that's, I mean, thankfully that's the only redeeming part of being in a position where we're not currently like musicians who make a living off of being musicians the only redeeming factor is that we can say that to where like our last record there's one song that we didn't do anything for like every other song has some kind of like pr premiere music video lyric video instrument playthrough whatever the one song that we didn't do that for is the most popular song and i'm like well fuck me man like it's a good song. I just didn't think that people would like it as much as they do. So I'm like, look, my judgment was bad there, but I can't sit here and beat myself up over it and be like, right. well, now we have to write because we're never going to be able to perfectly rewrite that song. And more importantly, all of the other songs we pushed, we didn't push those songs because we thought that that's what people were going to love the most because those are the songs we were most proud of. There's a something about it that each of us connected with on a level that we didn't connect with on that one song. But then, you know, we called out religion and it resonated with everybody. And I was like, I thought I was going to piss everybody off, but you know what? You fooled me. Yeah. And I, I think that's from an artist standpoint, that's one of the just like really cool quote unquote experiments, right? Like to to put out this body of work and be like, well, I know that I love track one, three, four, and seven. So that's what people are going to love. And then they come back and they're like, you know what? Track number five is the best thing you've ever. (laughs) I didn't even have that on my radar. Like, okay. Like you said, like now we have to assess. Did we write that? in a position where we're able to recreate it to some extent, but at the same time, do we want to, are we in the same headspace? Are we in the same position in our lives? You know, like we all grow up. And a lot of times for artists, especially if you look at their catalog of work and you guys are a great example of this too, you look at their catalog of work, it is different positions in their lives and you can see that growth through each album cycle and go, man, you know, like album number two, they were heavy on this, you know, socio socioeconomic stuff, like the political, the religious, all this. And now the new album being like, man, they, they had some fucking trauma they had to deal with. Like this is about them versus about everyone. And I think it's cool because it's, similar to paintings right like a painting is a moment in time and boom you know exactly what that one moment was or for me photography you know i can capture an artist on stage and forever that one moment's there that's what a catalog of work for an artist is is this is one moment in time for us 
and obviously like maybe not Justin Bieber, you know, who's writing pop songs, but anyone, and not to say that he doesn't write from a, uh, introspective place sometimes, but like certain people you can tell, like their art is them versus, Hey, there were 40 guys in this room and this is what we came up with. Yeah. And I think the ones that write, this is us often are more fulfilled whether or not they're viewed as more successful by society and and social media or whoever at the end of the day like you can speak to this this is actually a good segue into kind of the wrap-up for us back to your music anyway you can attest to there is no better feeling than coming off that stage after playing a show that you just fucking poured your heart into and somebody being like, that was badass. Thank you so much. Yeah, especially when you, you know, to literally reiterate what you said, but if you actually poured your heart into it, because if you are writing something that I'm like, well, everybody is going to love this one, the algorithm the matrix has proven it you walk off stage and they're like that was incredible i'm like no shit yeah we know (laughs) it was scientifically proven that it's incredible but you know what thank you for recognizing that i guess i mean it just hits on a different level when that emotion resonates people and that's that's really how it was with rogue you know we haven't played any shows since the pandemic which absolutely sucks (laughs) but (laughs) You know, before, um, you know, I mentioned that I started being in the band because I wanted like that heavier, darker outlet. And a lot of that came out when I was performing because at first it was very exciting playing heavy music again and playing with friends. But then I like moved away from home when I relocated from Louisiana to Mississippi. So I mean, not that far, but it was my first time being independent. And then I ended up going through a breakup. And now all of a sudden these songs that have, more of a darkness to them than I'm used to went from me getting on stage to play the song that I'm like this is the shit to like now I'm in this this performance is literally me encompassing all of the dark things that I've been going through and letting it out on stage and people resonate with that it's just like definitely made me feel it sounds cliche but a little less alone because they may not have known everything that I was going through, but they still saw that different side. You know, there was, there's no escaping the difference between me, like smiling, doing a guitar solo, jumping into the crowd and like trying to brag to everybody about, you know, I'm the shit looking at me playing the solo versus just like slamming my guitar on the ground. One show I like ran and jump kicked a wall in such a way that like my wireless pack went flying (laughs) like at that point i'm just being destructive and everybody can see i mean it's like the breaking bad thing how the show starts really colorful and it slowly and surely gets darker over time everybody's like he's wearing all black not just on the stage but all the time now he's obviously going through something but that performance really meant a lot to me. It really means a lot that you bared that for us to see in the first place. Right. 
that's just a kind of fulfillment that I've never had anywhere else. Doesn't matter relationships, whatever. I mean, like I said, that's just your most vulnerable at that point, just to a whole new level. Yeah. So I think the, uh, the next to last question that I want to ask, um, the last question will be the, the stereotypical wrap-up question, but um, to, to bring it into the kind of the quote-unquote title or the tagline for this episode, if you were going to give advice to anyone that maybe doesn't fully use art to cope yet or, you know, is nervous about trying to express themselves through art what kind of advice would you give when it comes to whether they're writing or creating music or you know I'm not an artist I can't draw for shit but you know if someone's a an artist like what would you say is the the biggest advice you can give around using your art for that method to just do it it's you know, it's one thing if you are an artist who has reached the pinnacle of their career to where that is your sole income. That's a very difficult position to be in, but I don't think that you or me or the listeners or really anybody interested in this topic is probably dealing with that problem. If the worst problem I had right now was like, I don't know how I'm gonna make my next million in guarantees, I probably wouldn't have the problems I'm dealing with right now. Right. You know, but I mean, when it's art and it's expression, I don't want to say nothing's bad. Because I mean, if you play a guitar completely out of tune, it's going to sound bad. But dude, if it makes you feel better, fucking go for it. Yeah. When the pandemic started, I alluded to this earlier, I was going stir crazy. I didn't know what to do. And I'm somebody who has been playing music for 10 years, writing songs about the way that I feel. And I was like, there is no note, no song, no lyric that can express what I'm going through right now. Like, I woke up one morning to a text message that by the way, your grandfather is in ICU and he's probably gonna die. However, because we're in a pandemic, nobody is allowed to see me. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, great. And again, there's no note that I could play, song that I could sing. I just started writing words on paper. And you at first have the inclination to like, I want to make this good. Like, I want to write, but I want there to be a purpose to it. And I had to very quickly come to terms with like, it's okay to just express yourself to express yourself sometimes. And that's the sad part of the business, in my opinion, where at some point, if you build any kind of a fan base or whatever, there is an expectation. People get very upset with us because we haven't released a full length or, you know, there's not more clean singing and choruses, whatever. But like every song that we've ever written has also not been released to the public. Right. And probably will never be. Just like the, the writings that I did during the pandemic, probably nobody will ever see. And it's okay to be able to express yourself like that. Like, don't worry about it being bad. Don't worry if you suck at it. You need to write down some words. You need to sing. You need to scream. Whatever it is, like, just do it. Just go for it. Yeah. The funny thing is, if it's something that you end up being passionate about, like, I don't journal on a daily basis anymore. But 
I'll be damned if I didn't start singing years ago because I wanted to like sing sad songs and get the emotions out. I'm not the vocalist of my band by any means, but like now that's something that I do all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just like the perfect advice is if you're doing it to, to cope with your trauma or to put in perspective your trauma so that you can start to heal or whatever the case may be. I, I guess to your point, if it's not for your sole income, just fucking do it because you have no idea how amazing you're going to feel at the end of that. When you finish it is journaling, drawing something like creating music, whatever at the end of that, you're going to look at it and go, wow, I was in this really low spot or this, you know, whatever spot. And I created this. And now like, it gives you that, we've talked about balance a lot throughout this episode. It gives you that balance that even at my lowest, I can create something that offsets that and makes me feel proud or good that, yeah, I was low and that sucks but I was able to get it out and I've created this poem or I've created this song or, you know, whatever. And now when I'm ready, I can share that with people and maybe somebody else is going to connect to that and go, wow, I know what that feels like. I've been there, you know, and I've, I've had it happen to me a couple of times just through some of the conversations I've had where people listened to a conversation and then reached out and been like, Hey, I really appreciate you doing that, you know, like that, that helped this, you know, I, I was feeling this way or whatever. And like, I'm sure you guys have had it with your music where somebody's like, man, you know, thank you for Vipers. Like that song changed my life. I was in a terrible spot. That song came out and now I look at things this way. And like, there's no better feeling in the world than having someone connect with your art in a positive way and say, this means something to me too. It almost, I don't know if this will sound bad or not. It almost justifies the trauma that you go through. And it gives you, gives you this sense of assurance maybe that like, hey, you went through that and that fucking sucks. And I you know, feel sorry for you, but I'm glad that you did because now you were able to, to do this thing. And you... I don't want to tell other people how to live their lives, but you have to look at it like that at some point. Yeah. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, I went through a traumatic experience and wrote a song and then my band is popular. Even if it's just for the sake of you and I having this conversation, it can't all be for nothing. It just can't. Right. It's, it absolutely fucking sucks. But even if this conversation is, and it is for me personally, like if it results in a stronger connection, if it's something that we look back on, whatever it may be, because obviously this is much deeper than a surface level conversation that you would have with like right. a family friend at the Christmas get together. Yeah. It has to be for something, whether it's for the sake of this relationship that's been cultivated or even if we never talk again just this two and a half long hour long conversation 
like it can't be for nothing and that can be oh, very difficult maybe if you're not as much of a creative but again that's why i say like apply it to anything because that's that's the only way i can get you know through it personally like yeah all that stuff but like i have also managed to build a life around myself here without anybody's help yeah so like started with a bare bones empty apartment with no financial support had to go to the grocery buy my own silverware plates oh shit apartment doesn't come with shower curtain got to do that like started quite literally from the bottom whereas most people you know have housewarmings and things like that so i mean again you have to make it empowering in some kind of way even if it's just silly or cheesy like that it it just can't be for nothing you know yeah yeah i agree and i know we've specifically said around the art side of things but like that advice to just just go do it applies to everything like if if running is your thing use that emotion that you have and get out and run more and maybe train to be in your first marathon or you know whatever it ends up being like even if it's something as quote unquote stupid or or simple as I want to run I'm super out of shape and I know that I want to run an eight minute mile mm-hmm. cool I'm I can that's an achievable goal and I could use my my shit to get through that like I could use my trauma to be like you know what today was a, a shit day I'm going to put on music and I'm just going to go for a jog and I just start pushing myself and I think when you start doing that you start forcing yourself but in a positive way you start forcing yourself to heal through that trauma mm-hmm. and now it's yeah I went through that but if I didn't go through that I couldn't run this eight minute mile now and now I can mm-hmm. and now I can do this other thing or whatever um and I think it's just it's super empowering and I know we used that term earlier but it, it really is um so for the last question it's the standard outro uh so where can people find you guys what can they expect uh at the time of this recording the new album's not out yet but it will be so what can they kind of expect coming up on the end of the year this is going to go live uh november 1st okay yeah so november 1st album will have been out for just over a week so i hope everybody has been jamming and, and enjoying it i'm going to keep being a very aggressive with the rollout from the band side of things with uh, we've got instrumental playthroughs coming we pretty much always release an instrumental version of the record for people who are geeks about that so that will be here at some point um and just for anybody who might still be listening at this point all three records that we've released have all actually been one overarching concept so the title track of this record references back to lyrics on the first record and we put a video together to really signify like the closing of that chapter so there's going to be like a lot of talk of like the end of rogue where it's you know i can't say whether or not the band is ending or anything like that but there is very specific story that we've set out to tell and it has now been told 
like Serpent Syndicate is the last song on the record and it quite literally says this is where it begins and this is where it fucking ends and we meant that <laughs> awesome and we meant yeah awesome I, I think that's super cool too is you know being intentional with your art and knowing this is a story that we're going to tell um, and and following through because I think a lot of times you know you we could obviously deep dive into this and maybe this will be a, a episode on the other podcasts that I have but a lot of times bands set out with this idea that oh we're going to tell this this expansive story or whatever and then it just doesn't get the traction that it that it would like to or you know just life happens and oh, then yeah. they don't complete it and I think it's a, a huge testament to you guys that even through a pandemic, you guys were able to say, no, we said, we're going to fucking do this. Now we're going to do it. Yeah. That's what I've said in like every single press release interview that we've done. Everybody's like, what's the exciting part of this? And we're like, it's just seeing the light of day at this point, everything has been pushed back, but even before the pandemic, because we're from the South. So when we started uh, vocal tracking for the second record a hurricane hit bam push that back so that's why we started releasing instrumental versions of our records was the song got pushed back months and we didn't want to be off everybody's radar for months and then my other band got a tour offer so i pushed back the music video shoot for rogue so i could go on tour with my other band and then the pandemic happened that pushed back music video shooting two times so like the last record was supposed to come out months prior to when it did. And Viper was supposed to come out in April because we wanted it to be a full length. And then we split it into two. And then we were like, we want to release this heavy ass EP and then hit people with another banger, like immediately after. Yeah. And then it was a year of complete silence. <laughs> and we're just like sitting here, like, is it worth it? All this money that we're putting into it. And we're like, look, we did it. Nobody can take that from us. We put it out. At this point, it doesn't matter what happens. We literally just told the damn story. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, so for anyone that has made it the roughly two and a half hours that you and I have been talking, um, where can they find you guys on, on social media, Instagram, things like that? Um, obviously, I'll, I'll link and tag all that, but um, kind of just give them that rundown and I think we're uh, finally ready. And I love these conversations. Like the episode that just went live um, this, I guess, last week from when you and I are talking was about the same length. And it's the longest episode I've done. But it's because these conversations, A, are super important. And B, when, when people like you and I and the previous episode, which was Mel, uh, when... When you're passionate about a subject, it's easier to talk about. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think we're both passionate that it's okay not to be okay, that everybody's got trauma and that's okay. And that there's a way to heal and cope with what you're going through in a healthy way that will inevitably lead to 
more self-fulfillment and self-appreciation. I couldn't have put it better myself. Yeah. (laughs) Since I cut you off a little bit, let's go ahead and do, uh, where where can they find you on social media and everything? And uh, yeah. Yeah. So for the band, we spell it stylistically strange um, in some places. So just at Rogue Band LA across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just type in at Rogue Band LA. Uh, will pop up anywhere. Spotify, we're just rogue. Um, they can find me. My name is Jeffrey Fisher. It's pretty common name. It's the, the Haley's boyfriend on American Dad. That's his name. Right. I coached the Tennessee Titans a few years ago. It is what it is. <laughs> but I mean, they can find me everywhere. It's very strange. It's the Jerfitrary. Okay. It's my other band, the Arbitrary, but I yep. put my name into it. I mean, all my stuff's public. I'm always down to talk about this stuff with anybody. So, Awesome, man. I appreciate your time. I really appreciate you being as open and, and honest about everything as you were. Um, this, like I said, will be going live November 1st. And I'm excited for the new album. I've already heard it. So I hope people start listening to it. Um, I'll probably, I say probably, I know I'm going to. Uh, I'll make sure that, you know, when that release comes up that we're sharing it as well so that people get an idea of what they're getting into with this episode, hopefully. Um, but yeah, man, I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to continuing, you know, like you said, this, this is the very early stages of a, a friendship relationship, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I think, you know, within the conversation that we've had, even there's been points in this conversation that I've been like, Oh shit. You know, I, I didn't think about that before or, you know, like the gas tank thing and, and whatever. So I'm definitely interested in uh, seeing where the band goes, but obviously staying in touch with you and, and maybe I'm doing this epi- or this podcast as a seasonal thing. Um, so like every year it'll reset episode one, whatever. So maybe next year sometime we'll uh, have a follow up and see how things are, are going and hit a new topic. I'm always down for that because you know a year from now we're all going to be dealing with different shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully not COVID anymore because you know that that shit needs to go away. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> all right, man. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'll uh, hit you guys up and let you know when it's all live and everything. And looking forward to the new music. Hell yeah, man! I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You too. And that was my conversation with Jeffrey Fisher of the band Rogue. Um, really appreciate you guys making it this far. Um, you know, it's hard when we're having these conversations and hitting on these topics. And clearly there's so much passion on both sides talking about these things and being open about our own personal battles. It's It's really hard to try to you know, force it into the confines of a 30-minute, a 45-minute, hour-long podcast. Um, And not every episode is going to be this long by any means, so you can see that with some of the previous ones as well. But um, I think occasionally it's necessary, you know. Sometimes we have to have these long, uh, in-depth conversations with people in our lives. And, you know, I hope that that's something you guys kind of took away from with this episode is that it's okay to talk about these things and it's okay to figure out who 
in your network of family and friends is open and able to talk about these things with you. And, you know, it, if they're not, that's okay. You know, like we discussed in the episode, it not everybody's equipped to have these conversations. Not everybody's got the right mindset or, you know, the, the mental or emotional capacity to take on something that's pretty heavy a lot of times. Um, and that's okay. You know, they may come around down the road, um, and it may be one of those things where you just have to kind of slowly roll into it and, um, you know, not overwhelm them in the first few conversations. Um, aside from that though, you know, keep in mind, like Jeffrey talked about the, the gas tank, right? Like know what your limits are, know, you know, when you're really pushing it to tapping out your energy and your your emotional capacity and your mental capacity where you know it's going to start affecting the people around you and whether it's their fault or not and that's you know a pretty big thing to keep a focus on so um hope you guys learned something hope you gained some knowledge maybe you know learned a coping mechanism or just a, a point of view that maybe you can use in in your own discussions and you know to help others see you in the light that you want to be seen in as well as you know hopefully we provide a little bit of comfort knowing that there's a lot of people going through very similar situations and experiences and um, you know the cliche that you're not alone is very much a cliche but it is also very very true um as always guys i super appreciate everything that you do go check out jeffrey's band rogue um they are out of the louisiana area so you know them them southern boys originally um but they've got so much awesome music and they create these incredible sonic experiences these the depth of their songs create these soundscapes and and just it's a journey it is a true journey that they will send you on and um yeah that's it guys make sure you like and follow them hit them up on instagram tell them that you listen to the podcast uh give us a like a share subscribe follow whatever it is um that's huge for us as well and that's everything that's that's going to be the end of the episode so to take us out as I do every single time, I just want to give you guys the reminder that to remember to take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene. <laughs>